And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Getting my voice back. It, 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 it has no longer falling apart, but you know what does often fall apart people's acquisitions i was thinking you were talking about yourself oh i'm i'm constantly in a state of falling <laughs> apart that's a d- completely different subject i mean if yeah i mean now if as if an as an entrepreneur and a startup founder if at several points every day you're not falling apart or a total mess are you really trying that hard yeah and you're getting old too so I mean, you know, True. put it all together. True. You're you're just falling apart. Me too, though. Uh, you know, so as we prepare to record this episode, we're on our third really snowy day here in Kansas City, which is the hometown of Startup Hustle and Full Scale and Matt and Matt. And, you know, I've realized that I've gauged my own aging based on how often I complain about how easy it is to have a snow day now. So, <laughs> yeah. So there's no, yeah, no, no lie on that one. Definitely aging. Now, you know, speaking of things that aren't falling apart, today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Gusto. And Gusto has modern solutions for modern HR problems, whether it's talent management, payroll, or onboarding tools. Gusto's HR platform has it all for you. Be smarter than your competitors. And you can try a a three-month free subscription now. You can sign up at gusto.com forward slash startup hustle to get started. Once again, that's gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Do me a favor, just scroll down to the link and click it. You don't even have to remember any of it because that's that's what links do, Matt. They take you to places that you might want to visit. Now, you're not going to believe this, but I spent my entire morning dealing with HR bullshit that, um, <laughs> I, you know, I have to just take a moment and appreciate the people in the world that deal yeah. with uh, make HR easier. things and use tools like Gusto because, yeah. you know, as we talk about acquisitions today, we I sold Stackify, right? And I'm sitting here still trying to clean up the mess of that, of like winding yep. down old 401ks and bullshit like that. And I just have a great for a appreciation. Don't, for a business you don't even own anymore, uh, right? Oh. It's, yeah. so I just have a great yeah. appreciation yeah. for people who do that and tools like Gusto. So yeah. HR the- problems are, are like ghosts or oh my God. maybe, that was my maybe home other things that just don't go away. Yeah. So, well, you know, Matt, something else that, that can ruin a morning is learning that someone that wants to invest in your business is no longer interested. And then on a much more uh, heavier situation, you know, like an acquisition falling apart. Now, you know, the interesting thing is, is, is when you watch, when you read, you know, whatever it is, your local news or the, the business journal in your hometown or, you know, some tech crunch, you always hear about the funding. Company XYZ gets a gazillion dollars of funding and turns into a decacorn, 
right? And I like how we went from unicorn to decacorn. I didn't even know what a decacorn <laughs> was. Is there really a unicorn with 10 horns? Because that seems weird. Seems like it could be a problem. But but with that, you always hear about this. You hear about the acquisition. You hear about the IPO. You hear about the funding round. What you never hear about is the fact that these things actually fall apart more than they don't. And they took months of hard work to get up to that point. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I've experienced not the acquisition fail, but the the funding fail. And there's 10 million reasons why that can fall apart. And, you know, we, you know, so here we are, this is part 49 of 52. We're almost, we're going to finally finish this series around March of 2022, <laughs> which will make it two months late. Um, so one thing, first off, when it comes to acquisitions and funding, they always take longer than you think they will. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, when I sold StackFi, it took five to six months from the time we had the offer to the time that we closed the deal. It was five to six months. Now, part of it was over the holidays, yeah. the Christmas holidays. So that drug it on some, but yeah. But but here's the thing is, okay, so whether that's the winter or the summer, because the 4th of July and that week does kind of has the same effect. There's always something that just doesn't speed things up. And, you know, realistically, you know, it's hard if someone's wanting to acquire your business or invest in it, uh, it's probably not advisable to just be like, come on, hurry up, write that check, close this deal. Cause there's a process. And we talked about that in our last episode with preparing for an exit, which um, the, is a, is an episode I wish we had a video for cause the anguish on your face of, of, recalling all of two acquisitions there's highs and lows highs and lows man i mean we you know i'll never forget on the vin Solutions side you know we were in a little different situation like business was booming we were growing at a really fast pace and you know before we sold the business i mean we were making half a million to a million dollars a month in profit right like we were doing great we were living large like just things were going really, really well, right? And, you know, it was actually kind of fun flying around to California and talking to people. And, you know, at the time, we thought the company would be worth like 80 to $90 million, which at the time seemed like a crazy amount of money. And then we ended up selling you, it for a lot more. Almost double, yeah. But yeah. We, yeah. we ended up with this uh, phrase of, and I think I've told you this before, of every day. And because it, it, oh, yeah. it's like we would call each other, me and a couple of the other you know, main owners. And that was the joke. It was like every day we had a better offer. And it was honestly a lot of fun. We, we had a, a ton of fun through that process. And, um, but, you know, there was some hairy moments where the whole deal could have fell apart even after we, um, you know, eventually figured out who we were going to take the offer from. I mean, the, the whole thing could have blown up in the end um, a couple of times. I, I've got a couple of funny stories. Um, yeah, and let's save one because I there's one I have in mind about a meeting and someone trying to make a joke and saying something very, oh my God. very inappropriate um, and kind of one of those moments that you'll never forget. Now, you know, just once again, I want to I want to go back a little bit because, you know, here we're once again, part 49 and 52, like we're coming to the end here. And, you know, an acquisition is the end uh, in some regards and then a new beginning for a business because, you know, these things happen for a variety of reasons, many of which you don't always get the inside look at, you know, you, you, you get a lot of, and well, okay. So, um, 
and you know, there's everything has a reason. So your first acquisition with Venn Solutions was highly publicized. I mean, uh, Matt has a Wikipedia page about him. I do. And I also, I also realized that there's a lot of well-known Matt Watsons. So, you know, so yeah, you want the one from Kansas city. I'm also a baseball player and a YouTube star. Yeah. Yeah. A gamer, a gamer, Mm -hmm. a streamer. Yeah. So Man, we need to do a series on that because I have so many questions. Now that said, you know, back to the acquisition thing, you know, we recently, you know, we talked about raising capital in later stages because it's way different. What is an acquisition? Uh, So go back and brush up on those if you're just entering the series because there's a lot to consider here. Now, when we talk about things falling apart, um, you know, so much of what we talked about last week was all the stuff that you need to be prepared for. In, in an exit. And like I said, I don't have, have enough time to go through what all of that stuff was. Just check out the episode, but there's a lot of due diligence. There's a lot of fact checking. There's a lot of checking on you and the and validating and confirming. Oh God. And, I have yeah. another one of those crazy things. When they, uh, I'll just tell you when, when, uh, when I sold a company before, I won't say which one they did background checks on everybody. <laughs> And found that one of them actually was a convicted criminal. Um, and that uh, raised some uh, eyebrows in the deal, too. So it's just shit you don't know, man. Skeletons in the closet. They all come out. Well, and, and rightfully so, if people are making massive transactions. And honestly, on some levels. So when we're talking about the, you know, the the reason things fall apart. I, I want to point out that this can be a two-way street because sellers back out often along the way too, uh, the same way buyers would because, uh, <laughs> well, the, 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 it's a moving target on some days, you know, like something changes in the, in the way that you're looking at the numbers, the sales or whatever, or maybe even we talked about key people leaving and now all of a sudden your buyer's like, well, there was last week's price and now there's this price. Well, and that, and, it's good. that yeah. leads to the seller being like, dude, get, get the, Fuck out of here, man. Take well, a check and go somewhere else. I mean, absolutely. Go back to the Vin Solutions days, right? Like, we're doing great. We are growing like crazy. We don't need money. We're profitable. And if somebody offers us $80 million and we're like, uh, or I could just wait six months and it's probably 150 because we're growing. So let's just wait six months, right? But the problem with that mentality is that keeps going on forever. Like, and then another six yeah. months, you're like, yeah. oh, in another six months, we'll be bigger and another six months will be bigger like at some point in time you just have to cash the check but you're absolutely right when you're a seller and you're in the driver's seat it's easy to tell the buyer like eh we'll just wait worst case scenario we'll be worth more money in three to six months and we'll just start the process over again well one thing that um and i don't you know i i I knew you a lot better during the Stackify acquisition that was sold to a private equity company. Vin Solutions was sold to Auto Trader, which had right. like a specific use case with that. And on top of that, and I'm not saying that multiple people weren't interest, potentially interested in Sacrify, but your term quote every day was the buzzword you would call and you know you, you guys are answering the phone every day because every day someone else bid up the price. Yeah. So you look at you look at the the you say the the buyer being in the driver's seat. Well, first off, you can't have an auction with one bidder. Yep. So, you know, depending on like where you're selling and how you're selling now in the case of, uh, and I don't know, this is just pure speculation. I have no facts or info, but you know, in the case of 
uh, your VIN solutions exit, AutoTrader could have been like, hey, let's not mess this up because we don't want our competitor right. getting this either. So that's that that there that can go two different ways. And you know, it can go up, it can go down. And I mean, there's a lot. And now really overall, and according according to the 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 production team at Startup Hustle, which does more of the background on these episodes than we do, just to be honest. But the biggest reason for an acquisition or an offer not converting is you as the founder or the seller. And, you know, it's the actions and inactions of the owner preceding the sale and the process in most cases that kill the deal. And, you know, one of them is, is the very first on our list here is emotional attachment. So yeah, people don't want to sell you know, and, Yeah. Well, they're attached to the baby and they don't want yeah. you know, so yeah, here's the thing. You sell the baby, someone else gets to raise it the way they want to raise it. They clothe it and do it the way they want and maybe even change the name. And, you know, there's a lot of people like, you know, the blood, sweat, tears and the DNA that a founder puts into, you know, that's why math, that's why on the new founder brand t-shirts we made, one of them has a thumbprint for the O and founder because, Founders put their thumbprint on a business and they get really attached to it. And they're like, you know, and then honestly, some of them, the smarter ones during these processes are like, hey, they realize this is a transaction and whatever someone's going to do with the thing afterward is their business. Yeah. And, and part of that is before you decide to sell, you've got to come to grasp with that right of like, now's the time I've made the decision. But the but for sure, I've seen deals go down where you run into this and you get all this weird baggage of like, okay, Joe's currently the CEO. What are we going to do with Joe after the deal? Like he wants to stay around or is he going to be a consultant or what are we going to do with him? And and as the buyer, you potentially want to cut the head off, right? And and you want that weird baggage to be gone. Like sometimes you want Joe to be gone because you want everybody to fall in line and do what the new business owner wants to be done, <clears throat> not necessarily have rogue Joe running around, right? And so you, you just get some really weird things that go on and absolutely, you have weird emotional attachment by the current CEO and owners that may, some of them may not want to let go. Yeah. And some of the, you know, some of the subcategories and things that'll go on in a, in a founder or seller's head. Now, once again, much, you know, like we compared startups so many times, like our snowflakes, cause they're all different. They also have different cap tables. They have different ownership stuff. And, you know, Matt and I own a business together. They can go to fullscale.io and learn more about it. And we own each own 50% of the shares, right? Which is great in some regards, but if you look at like, okay, Matt and I have the ability to make adult business decisions. If we didn't, theoretically, either one of us could stop the other person from selling the company. And, you know, so there are things that can or could occur there. And then also, you know, and Matt, I want you to talk about this for a second after I blaze through this list, but, you know, what am I going to do after I've sold? Do I really want to sell the business? As you mentioned, if I hold out, is the, is it worth more later? And, um, you know, and if I wait, you know, will I be able to sell it? Will it be worth less later? Now, as far as the like, what will I do after I've sold? You know, I we go all the way back to like episode 10 with Lyrell Holt, the founder of Carstar. Yeah. You know, say, Lyrell, what, who, who are you? He's, I'm just a guy looking for something to do, you know, and, and, and yeah. that's it. I mean, and and, I and, you, know, Matt, you didn't. Well, right, right. So like what, how much of, uh, at any point with Venn Solutions, were you like, I don't want to sell because I don't know what I'm going to do later? Or were you like, hey, this is a hell of a lot of money and I'd be kind of dumb to not cash this check and then answer that question later? Well, we, we were definitely in that weird situation where we're like, okay, today the business is worth X, 
but we're growing so fast that in 12 months from now, it's going to be worth like double that or one and a half times that. Right. And so it's really easy to get into that, that mindset. If I hold out, I'll receive more later. And you, and that just perpetuates, but it was actually one of the, one of my friends who was one of the shareholders, it was his dad. And he's like, you know, if they offer you X, you take the fucking money and you run away. Like you, you, yes. you have to stop at some point in time. Like you're getting so much money that it really doesn't even matter if you get 20 million versus 25 million versus 30 million versus it's just all a lot of millions. Just take the money, yeah. right? At some point in time, you just have to take the money. And, but, but it's difficult when you're in that situation because it's easy to have that mentality of like, well, I'll just hold out and make more later. Yeah. And, and, you know, so the Buddha says that you, tomorrow never comes. You always have today. Yeah. And that's that kind of like that six month, six months from now never comes. It's always now. And if that's it's it's kind of like the, the, um, you know, I talked about in my book, balance me the right time myth. People are like, I'm just going to wait for the right time to do whatever. And the thing is, is really all that is, is just justifying why you're not doing something sure. today. It's, yeah. oh, I, I, it's not the right time for me to start a diet. It's not the right time for me to get a new job. It's not the right time for me to seek investors. And, you know, like, I mean, there are certainly situations where it truly might not be the right time, but overwhelming, I mean, I'm talking like 90% of the time, if you hear your saying, yourself saying that, it, you, need to, you need to check your head a little bit. Okay, so... You know, there's there's obviously a lot of emotional things that go into this. We talked about that a little in the in the last one. Um, you know, one thing that you know, you talk about taking the money and run. So, I've had kind of something that I've uh, you know I, I'll be I'll tell you I I don't have an exit history like Matt. Um, I've run some businesses that have made a shit ton of money. And I'm cool with that. But at the flip side, uh, they weren't necessarily like acquisition targets. Now, I've known so many people like you and peers and others, guests that have. And they often refer to that kind of what I refer what I call that that first sleepless night, which is when all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, I could have a massive payday here. And, you know, like, do you remember that night? Yeah, absolutely. And what's crazy about all of it when you own a business you don't necessarily think about the money side of it, right? Until you get to that kind of situation where like, oh, wow, we apps, we actually could get a giant pile of cash and that could actually be X for me, right? Up until that point, like it's, it's sort of like, it sounds like a great idea, but you know, it doesn't become reality until you get to that point. And all of a sudden that reality kind of kicks in and then you, you honestly start spending the money too. <laughs> Which by the way is not advisable. Yeah, because <laughs> yep. it's not. It's not. I mean, I, I mean, just in life, I don't care if you're in an acquisition. Spending money before you've got it is is uh, often often what people refer to as why they got the why they broke the the lever. You know, so it, it happens, and that's that's a tricky thing too. Now, in this case, this is a this is a little different than when we look back at like raising capital. Because like in raising capital, you think you're getting an investment, then you don't. You've made a bunch of commitments and now you're like, uh-oh, what now? Okay, so another another reason um, is for that, that acquisitions fall apart and fail is missing numbers, meaning like you suddenly, like during the process, something happens and your sales might dip, drop, or just stop growing. Or perhaps, okay, so um, you look at... at all right. So, well, this is, this is on point. I'm not getting off topic here. Enron, 
uh, fell apart because their accounting was bullshit, right? So they were claiming they had revenue that wasn't necessarily realized or that they had assets. And, you know, once people get in there and start poking around and they're auditing your stuff, like they, you know, the way that you've been representing X, Y, or Z might not be seen the same way by whoever's looking at it. So kind of all well, one and the same there. Well, and I, and I saw this same issue, even just try to raise capital, right? But, you know, just even raising like VC money, it's like, oh, okay, you're growing, let's say it's 10% a quarter, 20% a quarter, whatever. And all of a sudden you have a bad quarter. Then now they're like, oh, yep. well, What's we want to wait this? now because we, we want to see you get some momentum and get that growth going again, right? Well, yep. now the problem you have is, you know, you take the LOI because you're doing 10% a month or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you have a bad month or bad quarter <clears throat> while you're in the middle of this like three to six month window of doing the deal. All of a sudden they might be like, eh, I don't know about this. I mean, we, we, we were going to buy this company for all this money because of the growth and all that. And now all of a sudden, you, you know, you've had a cat, bad couple months and you got a big customer cancel. Like oh, we, we don't know anymore. We're not sure. Right. And and honestly, that is really scary. And part of the problem is your whole team is distracted by all this bullshit with trying to sell the company that it's hard to even run the damn business while you're going through this. And it's easy to miss your numbers because you're you're distracted. So, I mean, it's a yep. huge risk and a problem in the deal. Well, and that's and that's why, you know, we refer to due diligence so many times and due diligence is the process of uh, verification, investigation auditing potential or deal investment opportunities that confirm like relevant facts and finances and other information. Like you mentioned before, maybe background checks or, uh, you know, talking to vendors. Um, and we mentioned that a little bit before, like, I mean, it was no, it's no real secret that full scale had a big team at Stackify, but when Netrio wants to buy them, they want to make sure that it could be also because you own part of full scale that we weren't in a spot where we could have just doubled the prices and been yeah. like, ha ha ha. And you know, that's, yep. and it's understandable. But with that, there's a ton of stuff to go through. And really realistically, at one point, we, that could have been like a big problem, right? Yeah. You know, and cause it, re it required other people to, to, you know, to make deals and decisions that weren't necessarily something you could control. Now, well, now by the way, you know, go ahead. Well, so th those are what it's called affiliated um, transactions, right? And, and actually in the Vin Solutions days, um, our whole deal almost got, could have got blown up because of um, not an affiliated transaction, but because of a partnership. So we had a partner, one of our partners was uh, thinking about like an accounting system for car dealers that we needed like an integration with them or otherwise we couldn't service those customers. Well, that company didn't like the fact that AutoTrader was going to acquire us and basically could have killed Changed that integration yeah. and or jacked up yeah. our pricing so much that we could have lost like a big percentage of our customers. And that, that almost blew up the whole deal. Um, and sometimes those sort of weird partnerships Again, that one wasn't a closely held affiliate. It was, you know, an external third party. But those are the kinds of things that can blow up a deal is any kind of those types of partnerships or like the, uh, third parties that are critical to the deal, right? Like, you know, some sort of integration or data provider or whatever it is that's really critical to the business. If those, you know, parties don't, you know, aren't happy with the deal, the whole thing could blow up. And that's all really tiresome. You know, something else that's really tiresome, dude? Payroll, 
doing oh payroll at your business. And if you're tired of the long hours because of payroll, save more time by using Gusto. That's a sponsor of today's episode, Startup Hustle. They have automated processes that can help you file taxes, manage your payroll, and all in a matter of minutes. Much like we were saying before, like this is the stuff you need to automate, people. Let, let Gusto help you with that so you can focus on growing the business so you actually get to a point where you can maybe have your own acquisition blow up someday. Uh, but but with that, you know, what, what are you waiting for? You know, what are you waiting for, people? Go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Use the link in the show notes so they know that we sent you over there. Uh, you get free three. You get a free three month subscription uh, when you when you use the link and and you know process of payroll. So go for that. Now another thing with some of these tools and like you look at Gusto and and just stuff in general is they help you with preparation and and lack of preparation is the next thing on our list when it comes to the reasons the acquisitions implode and that's you know really just like. I mean, dude, we went through so much of this, but there's a number of things that impact the sellability of your business. We kind of been talking about that along the way. Um, and, you know, like not being prepared and being way, way, way behind, which by the way, if you, it happens in a lot of businesses, like at full scale, we grew so quickly. Like we just spent months like really going back and redoing and reviewing and reconsidering how we were tracking our income and expenses. And it yeah, wasn't a small task. So if you're not prepared, like it's going to show. And you, and you never know what they're going to ask for, right? So in when we sold the company to Stackify or we sold Stackify, you know, Netro wanted to know like every customer we've ever had, why, what, what tool did they use before they signed up for our tool? And then if they canceled, what tool did they sign up? Did they switch to after, you know, why did they cancel? How big of an account were they? What programming language did they use? Did they use Azure? Did, like all this shit we didn't even know, right? So some of it, we had to go back through all of our notes from like Zendesk support tickets and sales notes and all this stuff. Like we spent like hours and hours and hours and hours because they just wanted, they were trying to understand the market, right? Like who was the customer and, and you know, how big were they and what tools did they use before and why did they cancel? And, and a lot of that, like, it, it, it makes total sense, but it's not things that you track on a daily basis. And I'm not saying drop everything you do now to go track those things, but don't be surprised if like some weird shit like that comes out of nowhere. Well, then you get goofy stuff. And I think this is a good time for you to tell the funny story about the meeting and the inappropriate comment that was meant to be a joke and like just dumb shit and little things can change the way that a seller looks at a buyer. Yeah, one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my entire life, and, and this this goes on that list of things that you cannot make up. And I'm we, just going to, by the way, I'm going to sit back comfortably and listen to this story because I love it so much. So let me let me let me get there, Matt. Hang on. All right, all right, go go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> all right, so we we had already um, signed the LOI and everything to sell the company to Auto Trader, and as one of the steps, um, they brought in their whole uh, a bunch of their management team. And we had all of our management team in a giant room. There had to be 15 or 20 people in this room. And they went around, had everybody introduce themselves and tell everybody what their hobby was. And so we started going around the room, you know, no big deal. And we get to this one individual who, who will not be named that uh, worked for my company, who went on to tell everybody in the room that his hobby was masturbation. 
<laughs> and I'm inappropriate. Sitting next, and and I, I'm sitting next to you know one of the other guys on my team, and I look at him. We just look at each other like mortified, and we're not sure if we should laugh or cry. And it was just like a, a like time stopped for a minute, and we're like, "What the fuck just happened?" And like, really didn't know what to do or say. And honestly, there, there, I had to have conversations like the next that day and the next day, like with the executive team and auto trader around, like, what do we do with this guy who just said this? Like, obviously, you know, obviously, their perception of him went down several degrees. <laughs> Of like, uh, we don't know if we want this person around anymore. Like, it was a weird, weird time, and I couldn't even make up the craziness that ensued from that. Yeah, and you know, so uh, we at a company I once worked for before I worked for myself, we would call that a CLM, a career limiting move. Oh God! Uh, and, and man, they're easy to make, man. Like, I mean, just saying. Like, I think the rule of thumb is uh, don't say dumb shit, but. Yeah, that so that definitely falls into my category of of things that that should not be discussed in the workplace, which is religion, sex, and politics. You really have you don't really have much much of a chance of, of gaining favor uh, as much as you do with losing it. But yeah, so you know, and I mean, what a wild story because you know you're talking to, you're in front of 15 people that are trying to buy your company. You'd like to think that someone would have enough common sense to not make that joke. Now that was in. I honestly, man, 12 years ago, and that's while that's a long time ago, and sometimes it isn't. Um, I feel like if you did that now, they'd probably run you out of the room in most rooms because you know, you just can't. I mean, that's that ain't no one got time for that. All right, so thank you for sharing that, man. Uh, yep, it's been a while. Okay, so another reason that acquisitions all often fall apart is uh, you know, your profits are stuck or you have shrinking margins that come up or static profit despite revenue growth, that can be a red flag. Like the revenue is going up and the expenses are growing even more. And this is just still back into that, that whole due diligence process. Like an example would be despite growing sales by, um, you know, by five to 10% a year, a company's profit was still frozen at the same number for several years. So revenue is going up which makes it look like you're growing, but really in the end, and this is what's so funny because, you know, we've joked about this, like at some point your business isn't going to just be in the business of raising capital people. You got to make profit. Yeah. And, and if you're not, you know, and there's a lot of businesses that do a shitload of revenue and honestly don't have much of a hope of doing a profit and turning a profit. Like Netflix. Maybe. Well, I mean, you know, and some of them, like the the ride sharing uh, companies, Uber and Lyft were were really in that boat and they had raised like a gazillion dollars of capital. And, you know, they had to make big structural changes in everything that they did and how they did it because it became for this kind of reason, like, okay, so your revenue is growing, your usership is growing, but at what point is that ever going to be profitable? Because, you know, at some point you're just like when you're on series Q of investment, it's like people are going to start to ask the question. It was the same thing with a lot of the a lot of the startups and a lot. You, this really gets exposed with a lot of companies that explore going public. Yeah. You know, like yep. I can't remember the name of there was a match like an online mattress company that went through this recently that it was like literally like it looked really good. The revenue was growing. You could see them everywhere. And when people went in and really analyzed it, they're like, OK, this is 
actually might not ever have any hope of being profitable. And well, now, and now you're not, not now not only are you not getting an IPO, you're well, I mean, WeWork was kind of the same way. Well, and if we relate this back to a tech business, the, the big thing that gets scrutinized will be your gross margin. So like your hosting costs and, you know, third party fees you may have, any kind of stuff like that. You, those your margins are really critical. And that's something that they'll dig into and try and figure out, OK, are they optimized? Are they not optimized? How could we optimize them? You know, as the business continues to scale, will the margins improve? Like all those sort of things uh, become important. And and sometimes if you're a really small company, they might expect your margins not to be great because you just haven't hit those like, you know, le- levels of scale that help optimize it. But those are definitely conversations that happen and could scare a buyer away because your margins aren't good enough for kind of their model. Yeah. And then, you know, the another thing too, and this is like the case with a business like full scale. So full scale is tech services and um, you know, we help you build a software team, go to fullscale.io. Um, and now with that, we're, our business's valuation would be more heavily tilted towards EBITDA earnings right. before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, uh, more so than revenue. Cause we don't, it's not like the software product that has, could potentially just kind of go on forever. Our business is truly people driven yep. and it wants to see a profit. Now that profit now, now there are factors that go into that. Like, you know, how long you've been in business, perhaps how big your company is. Do you have specialty? How long your clients have been around the average lifetime value of a client? These things all are, are, you know, known factors in that. But, you know, one of the things that could kind of flip things on its head is that if your buyers came in looking, they, you know, I'd like to think that hopefully they knew better before they got this far down the road where an acquisition is actually falling apart. But they're kind of like, oh, shit, we should be looking more at the, you know, the EBITDA or the, the profit centers of this business and where they are now. Because, you know, like in, and a change in that in that fundamental nature of how your business is viewed can very much could very much have an impact on whether or not your deal goes through. So, yeah, any and any kind of as we've been talking about, really, any kind of major change or decline in, in the business performance, you know, just before the acquisition and during the acquisition mm-hmm. process can always lead to the, the, the deal falling apart. Yeah. I mean, so next on our list is related to networking capital. And before we talk about this, I want to, by the way, Matt, you know, actually, oh, I love that topic. I, well, I'm going to pause because you used LOI and a couple different, I, you know, I, you know, I don't like undefined acronyms because you have letter of intent that could also be a loss of income. Um, did you use that? In two, <laughs> did you use that in two different contexts or was yeah, that? No, I used the loss of income to uh, right. sell the company. Yeah. And then two minutes later, you mentioned <laughs> LOI, which was letter of intent. So Sorry. Yeah. I don't like undefined acronyms. And that's literally why we once had an episode about acronyms because those are both valid terms. Yeah. 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 So anyway, all right. So networking capital NWC uh, is the difference between a company's current assets and liabilities on its balance sheet. And it's a measure of a company's liquidity and its ability to meet short-term obligations as well as fund operations of the business. Now, you know, using full scale as a reference, again, this is something we've had, we've discussed as we come up on our fourth birthday. And, you know, that at one point it was funded with Matt and Matt. And then, uh, you know, we did some other things. We raised some venture debt. Now, these are things that exist on our balance sheet that get paid back. Now, with that, at the same time, we have, in order to prevent borrowing money 
that we would pay interest on, or perhaps, you know, maybe not wanting to take an investment capital. We, we, you know, we talk a lot about how much money do we really need to keep in the bank? And it's going to be different for other businesses. Like some, some places you need to have six months worth in some places. You, yeah. I mean, now when the pandemic hit, one of the things that I just thought was really alarming were facts coming out that like the average American business, especially food service, usually didn't have more than like a, seven to 10 days of cash on hand. Yeah. And, and so what, what really this comes down to when you're selling the company and honestly, I didn't deal with any of this in the VIN Solutions sale, but in the sacrifice sale, it took me probably three or four months to wrap my head around what the hell this shit even meant, was what was called the working capital peg. And and even in our, our LOI and in negotiating the deal all along, we kept talking about the working capital peg, the working capital peg, the working capital peg. And it's like, what the fuck does that mean? And even after working they- cap- Working capital pay? Peg. The peg. Peg. And even after they explained it to me several times, I never could understand what the hell they meant. But at the end of the day, it related back to some of the things you just described. It's like, okay, how much money do we have in the bank? How much money do we have in accounts receivable? How many prepaid expenses do we already have? Right? So think about you use HubSpot and you pay $20,000 a year for it. Well, if I just paid that last month, I'm not, you know, my company's not going to get the benefit of, Hub, of HubSpot for the rest of the 12 month period because I don't own the company anymore, right? So all these calculations come together to form what is called the working capital peg, which is the biggest, boring, confusing bunch of bullshit in the whole process, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I just Googled it, man, because, like, honestly, I, now, now that you explained it I, 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 it, I get it. And I know I've just never even referred to it. And it's uh, according to Google. Um, which has an answer for everything you might need people. It really does. There's probably nothing you can't find on Google. I know that sounded like a redundant advice, but some of you need to hear that. Um, a net, uh, okay. So what is working capital peg? A network, a net working capital peg or simply referred to as the peg is a benchmark or baseline amount of net working capital that is agreed upon by a buyer and a seller and is usually determined towards the end of a financial due diligence. Okay. So here's the thing. Say that uh, we'll use full scale as an example again. Say that we knew that we wanted $500,000 in the bank for working capital, but we chose to have 5 million in the bank at some point, this is really becomes a question is, is, is the acquiring party also getting your working capital that's there? Or is that something that needs to be distributed maybe to the current owners? Does it, it, does it get split? And Matt's example with HubSpot also, when you accumulate cash, you get to, you get the value and benefit of, of, of prepaid discounts and a lot of other things. So in his case, in his example, you paid $20,000 for something that you have a month in, which reduced the money in the bank that might get distributed. So should you be essentially reimbursed? Yeah. A lot of it comes down to accounts receivables and prepaid expenses Yeah, and and getting the credits of those right. Because, you know, if full scale has $600,000 in accounts receivable, then the new company is potentially going to get $600,000 more money later, right? But if what if for whatever reason those customers don't pay, then you've got to reduce that down. And and what happens is after the deal closes 30, 60, 90 days later, there's a true up of the working capital peg. Anyways, we this is the well, like the well, dumbest, according most confusing to, subject ever. Well, according to the uh, the accounting class that I had to take three times in college, the same one. Um, 
Yeah, that's true. We're just sharing real facts, you know? So uh, with that, um, uh, you know, the uh, uh, accounts receivables are assets, you know, and especially when they're coming from vendors that are known to pay. Now, depending on how you collect money that, you know, that has a different cycle because, you know, when I worked for for Roland, which is a a musical instrument manufacturer, I mean, the manufacturers have net terms that are often 180 days, sometimes longer, like they could be net 30, 60, 90, 180, however it is. And these are, these are, these are assets that are on the books because someone's going to see the money coming in. So they need to be, they need to be considered. And and this is where the deal would blow up, right? Let's say we have a customer with full scale that says, look, we have a three-year contract with full scale and we're going to pay them a million dollars a year for the next three years. Well, if we go to sell the company, there could be a huge discrepancy between us and the buyer around what that contract is worth. Right. And that's where the deals can fall apart is yeah. you having these big contracts and AR and all that. And, it, and if we're like, hey, this is guaranteed money and they're like, eh, no, it's not. Then then you can have like a big fight around the value of the company. True. True. Um, you know what makes a lot of that easier is being prepared. So I want to give a quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by Gusto. And you know, thanks, Gusto, because you've sponsored a lot of Startup Hustle episodes at this point. We appreciate that. Um, when we go to sell this podcast, we're going to bring that up in the peg. Um, so, <laughs> so you can manage your HR needs with Gusto. It's the way to go. You know, make it easy to onboard new talent, handle payroll, support your people in any way. Gusto's platform is powered by advanced technologies. So talent management and payroll processing will never be the same again. Try Gusto for free, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Click the link in the show notes and, you know, Matt, as we as we wrap up this episode, I mean, this was there was this was good. Like, honestly, we really only scratched the surface. Like, these are some of the more common reasons that things crater. And there, I, I honestly, we didn't even get. We probably got one. Well, we, yeah. I have one more story I have to share that you know about. That is the craziest of all of them. Is what happens when you have a buyer that wants to buy something, but the buyer doesn't even have any money. You remember that? Like, I, we know somebody locally that tried to acquire a business on on the presumption that they had a bunch of money that they didn't even have, yep. and went through this whole process with a company that I know about well, trying to buy this more company. than one with yeah. more than one. Yeah, this was this was uh, someone that that appeared credible and uh, was shopping for deals running up legal bills and a bunch of other stuff. Now, a lot of this stuff, like you can get stuck holding the bag on that too. But yeah, and that same person considered investing in full scale and Stackify and several other businesses. And then later it just didn't happen. Yeah. Talk about craziest shit ever. Like that was a wild one. Yeah. And that was weird. And, you know, that was, and that's tough to determine because, you know, like, well, I mean, and yeah, true. You know, I've completely forgot about that, man. Yeah, um, and that might have been a defense mechanism of wanting to forget about it. So, you know, these <laughs> things, like we said, like you talk about investments, acquisitions, and other things falling apart. Like, and you, know, and and that is another thing that that can happen is, you know, whether it's private equity or another company. I mean, I don't know if Auto Trader just had that money in the bank, but a lot of times these things are funded. There's funding behind the funding. Right. And, and they have and, to do capital calls. And if for some reason they can't yeah. call the capital on their end, yep. they could fall apart. Yep. And, you know, and the, I mean, there's a lot with that. Now, 
um, you know, this, I mean, this is, this is a really insight. I, I'm glad we did this episode because I think this is important stuff because it really, in the end, you know, I think that it's the opportunities missed that you look back that feel at and often feel the most expensive. Um, you know, so, I mean, if you can, first off, be professional, you know, don't go into meetings and say dumb shit. Right. Like, I mean, dude, that, that, that instance where you, you're, you're, uh, your story there, like that could have tanked a deal because that could have oh, yeah, that could have really reflected poorly on the culture, yeah, that existed at your company. So, you know, anyway, well, Matt, we're going to come back. We're going to do this. We got three more of these, buddy. We got fifty, fifty-one, and fifty-two, and I'm going to leave it a mystery about what we're going to talk about because can't wait. The grand finale is near, folks, and. Uh, and then we're jumping right in. We're going to, you know what? Let's let the cat out of the bag because we know we're doing this. We're going to do a, 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 we're going to, Matt and I like doing series because we like getting deeper into things that you can't necessarily always get into in 45 minutes to an hour, but uh, we're not going to go too deep, but we're going to talk NFTs. Yeah, they're, they're all the rage these days. Yeah. And um, I'm convinced I know why they really exist, but uh, I'm, well, I'm excited to talk about it. And we're going to talk, we're going to talk all about that and more. And we're going to really like, we have some, we have some fun and interesting stuff. Uh, this is going to be demonstrative and interactive for many users. I'm going to leave it at that. Now, once again, Gusto, thank you. And thank you for helping founders and businesses be prepared for what they need to be prepared for. And thanks again, Gusto, for doing all the crap that we don't want to do. I'm out. Thanks, everybody. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.